So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. And we're back drinking beer out of Taylor's fridge. What are we drinking today? You're drinking a Lesions uh, Hazy Contact Hazy IPA. What do you think? I like it. I haven't had this before. Good. Very nice. Out of a can or a bottle? Out of a can. I like it. Thought Quite tasty. This is a personal favorite. Nude pick. It's a six pack that I bought right when quarantine was rumored to be starting. So I grabbed something that looked a little bit fresh, a little bit new, a little little nuance, a little flavor to my lifestyle here in under C-19 law. And yeah, these are the last two cans. I'm glad you like them. Got to try to keep things fresh yeah. in every way we can. Which is very limited at this point. This uh, is true. As always, we have our first impressions. We have limited series today. We're going to be going over The Undoing from HBO, and I know this much is true also from HBO. Let's start with The Undoing. All right. Tonight, the gruesome discovery of a mother bludgeoned to death. Nobody seems to really know anything. What are the police making of it? Mom, you're acting strange. Detective Justin Mendoza and YPD. We are investigating a crime. So if you know something, tell us what it is. You either read me my rights right now, or tell me I'm free to go. All right, that was the trailer for The Undoing, a miniseries coming soon from HBO. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are that definitely felt more like a teaser trailer than a full-length trailer. I don't know more now, really, than when I started. Besides, I'm excited to see Noah Jupe flesh out his acting chops with some um, extended character work. I think that's one of the most important things for developing actors is getting to play characters that are a little bit more breathy. So limited series are a, are a good way to get that in nicole kidman looks to be doing nicole kidman things um not bad not good just nicole kidman um sutherland i can take or leave uh, I, I don't know if you know whatever this show is about is really going to cement whether or not i'm interested in it it looks fine um it, it doesn't look great it doesn't look bad it looks fine it doesn't seem well written it doesn't seem poorly written it seems fine take it or leave it how are you i think i'm in the same place as you it looks compelling enough it's like a kind of thriller strong cast um i like most of these actors um yeah would agree that uh the teaser trailer doesn't give us a lot about what it is about um which is maybe just not a strong enough sales pitch at the moment when there is so much content of this kind you got to differentiate yourself a little better than that, but um, especially look with bad. the title that says "The Undoing" without showing us what might be the undoing. Yeah, it's a little pretentious. When we're all at home and you know under an avalanche of content, it just not looking bad is probably not enough of a differentiator. Not for us, no. at least. On to, I know this much is true. 
she would have just let me raise him the way he should have been raised, maybe he would have ended up on the bottom the way he did. Ray is a paranoid schizophrenic. It's not mom's fault. It's not anybody's fault. There was an incident. That was the trailer for I Know This Much Is True from Derek Sion France. What do you think? Well, I thought this would be a good pick for today because we have a movie starring Mark Ruffalo. I did not know going into this that we have Mark Ruffalo in this starring opposite Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. I did not realize he was playing two brothers, identical twins. Um, kind of mixed on this director's work Derek Cien France in France um but am uh kind of this piqued my interest um it looks uh, a little more cinematic to me maybe um than what I was expecting I'm kind of curious to know how this will play out in an episodic fashion um curious to see how Mark Ruffalo pulls off these dual roles um I'm kind of curious what about you I'm thrilled are you? I'm absolutely thrilled. I couldn't be more happy. Um, I love The Place Beyond the Pines, to put it lightly. I, I think it's one of the greatest triptychs um, in like modern plays with different characters that's all technically about one thing, which is the evolution of a family over time. Um, I think that the way that he captures humanity with characters and moments is really permanent. Um, if you remember, Ryan Gosling's one third of that film but Mm -hmm. he's so memorable that he takes up a a lot of your bandwidth but bradley cooper is also another full third of that film um and i think that that type of style really suits limited series and something that's Mm. um that seems faithfully adapted but with liberties taken that's this well cast melissa leo Mm -hmm. she is um a foundational block to any project i think so when you when you cast her you get um where it's just completely transformative so to me this is going to be a neighborhood style limited series that's about two brothers um over time and i think it looks fucking great i'm i'm very happy i love me some Catherine han i'm very excited to see her here yeah strong cast no doubt on to mark ruffalo and laura linney in You can count on me. I don't know what the church's official position is on adultery these days. So what is the official position these days? Well, it's a sin. How was school? Stupid. Were you a wild kid? Not as wild as your mom. Mom, were you? No comment. You can count on me's from the year 2000 mm-hmm. from writer director Kenneth Lonergan. I'm sorry, I think you mean my favorite priest. <laughs> That's right. We'll we'll talk about that scene, I imagine. Which one? Uh, There's a few. I guess he does have two, maybe even three. Yeah, he, he has three. Yeah. But you're talking yeah. about the meaty one. I'm thinking the one with Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Yeah. 
the intervention um, scene, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I came into this uh, with very high expectations, having worked backwards through Kenneth Lonergan's filmography. Um, what about you? High I, hopes going in? This is my Any second expectations? one. I, I still haven't gotten to Margaret. I had every intention mm. to get to Margaret. Still haven't done it. It's a little bit daunting. It's so highly praised. It's so long. It feels like I'm getting ready to watch The Godfather, which I just watched for the first time this month. Um, so I'm pacing myself for these masterworks is the only way mm. that I can put it. Um, I I liked this movie a lot. I don't think it's perfect, but I I appreciate it the same way that I appreciate... Uh, um, gosh, what's his name? Um, not David Lynch, but the guy that made Dead Man, the guy that made the zombie oh, movie. Oh, Jim Jarmusch? Yes, yes. Mm. He, he reminds me a lot of Jim Jarmusch here um, and the way that he's telling his story differently, but it's it's always something that feels personal to the creator of the project, I guess. Mm. It feels distinctly American. Um, it doesn't feel rehashed it doesn't feel recycled it feels sincere and honest and american in that way that i like that's like rustic americana yeah uh it's like if you don't like the milieu that lonergan is interested in you're probably just not gonna like lonergan right he does kind of working class middle class wasp types Mm -hmm. um but you know i like that he just looks at people with uh ordinary human flaws right and just kind of approaches it um with empathy and not a great deal of judgment i think that's very much the case here Um, i don't even know if there's any judgment which at some points made me uncomfortable as a viewer yeah um it's about a grown brother and sister whose parents were killed in a car accident when they were young. We see that in the first 60 seconds, maybe. All right. Very so quick. Quick question, because this has been bothering me since I watched the movie. What you got? In the beginning of the film, a police officer comes and knocks on the door and takes Laura Linney's younger sister out, right? Younger, younger Laura Linney's there in the doorway. She's taken out and she's told by the police officer to tell the kids... To tell the boys, I believe, that she's going to step out for a moment. Mm. I was under the impression there was more than one brother. Then that was never addressed in the entire film. And I watched the whole thing and have been confused ever since. Now I wonder if my memory is completely playing tricks on me. I was about to say that the babysitter was neither of them, Laura Linney or Mark Ruffalo's character, but just a babysitter to the two of them. You're saying there was two boys in there? I thought it was too. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. It might have been a little girl with a little boy's haircut because that does happen. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, you, that you only have, see them in it. the background watching TV. I was just right. under the impression that she was the older sibling that was watching her younger brother. I guess. Ah. And that kind of built. You're up like, where's this third sibling? The role. <laughs> so I, I always knew who Laura Lenny was based on that impression. Maybe that's the wrong impression. I see. Yeah, I, I assumed that was a separate babysitter watching Mark Ruffalo, little Mark Ruffalo and Laura Linney characters. Ah, uh, that changes things. <laughs> You're going to have to reposition some ideas now, I imagine. Yeah, I'll get back <laughs> to you in a year on that. <laughs> Understood. Uh, 
Yeah, I think there are aspects of this movie I like better than others. Um, but I like that it kind of has its different dimensions. We get this relationship between a brother and sister kind mm-hmm. of at the core and then how they each relate to Laura Linney's character's son, like a seven, eight years old, something like that. Rory Culkin. That's right. Who I think is very good. Very good. Um, and then we separately kind of explore her, Laura Linney's character's personal life as well as his, but maybe his maybe a little bit less so because he's not doing too much. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I think... I think we explore I, his character. I would agree. Um, I think of these kind of different dimensions, I was maybe most interested in Laura Linney's love life. Um, yeah, it was definitely the most costly thing to me as a viewer. Yeah, I think there's there's maybe the most going on there. I'm very interested in, in their relationship as brother and sister. Maybe a little less interested in what it does with Ruffalo's character and the son. In him maybe kind of playing this kind of pseudo-father figure role. Only because it felt like that's maybe where it came close to bordering on cliche for me. Um, did you feel that way at all or not so much? I definitely... Like, what you're saying has a ring of truth to it. But I think that the way that Lonergan goes about it is too sincere for that to ring well although it does ring true it it doesn't ring well like it's not too cliche because he does show up to take him fishing after he decides to be an asshole and say that he's not going to because he does take him out in the middle of the night to the bar while she's out with her boyfriend um to play pool in a bar illegally Mm -hmm. um there's just so much that he does wrong that's so human that it doesn't get to the the cliche that it for me would be melodrama i guess like it Mm. never feels melodrama he gets angry he gets i mean he's getting stoned constantly um and he's trying to be useful i guess Mm -hmm. um trying to find a, a temporary fit um i i think that maybe i put a lot of context onto what he was going through in his head knowing that as soon as he left his girlfriend had committed or attempted to commit suicide um and that everything he was doing was trying to was in some way affected by that i think his his character was complex enough that although it had twinges of melodrama it never committed to it i think i would agree if it were any other director or even an unknown i don't know that it would even come across my mind it's only that like i like these other movies so much that i like maybe am holding him to a particularly high standard mm-hmm. um you know see so i can't help but separate the the things i responded to most from the ones i responded to maybe not quite so much but even that dynamic i think is perhaps informed by him just not having grown up with a father of his own and him just sort of instinctively you know maybe um stepping in to to fill that role i mean i definitely think there's pathos to that i think he he did stuff that laura couldn't in this film um i think taking rory to go meet rory senior particularly was one of them where he Mm. did do the right thing so that that boy could know reality Mm -hmm. um but at some level you don't want him to have to know that but Mm -hmm. it's also important that he does um, and I, I think that that's something that only, you know, his character in this film could have done. And I, I do 
think that that was the correct moral choice, even though it was hard and hurt Laura. I, I still think something like that was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where Lonergan gets really interesting to me. And, you know, having characters that do the right thing that feels wrong to the character that we're most focused on or on the side of um Mm -hmm. i always find that stuff interesting i I think you know it's not nearly the same thing but when michelle has to talk to casey in manchester Mm. you know she's doing what needs to be done and casey can't handle it it's not Mm. the same thing but it's similar i i think at a at a base level yeah um yeah partly because the movie you know never really confronts head on um the the car accident that we see in the first minute of the movie for me like i'm just thinking about how that's like informed uh who these people are in in so many different ways and i i definitely thought about casey affleck's character and how just coming back to the town of i think it, i think the town is called manchester by the sea in that movie um how just even being back in that town is um uh painful um and how that's um, maybe the, uh, this similar to the kind of feeling Mark Ruffalo's character might have had. And that's what, you know, sort of was the foundation for him becoming this kind of drifter. Whereas she, who knows, might have done something similar had she not had a kid and needed to sort of um, find stability. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the way it lets us kind of contemplate how that informs the paths they they each have taken i think it's really nice that that it really leaves that space for us to kind of explore yeah i i think that i have a totally different read and i don't feel confident that i'm right or that you're right that's that's the beauty of a lonergan character i think is we each come up with different internal narratives that make sense to us for why these characters are making choices and he gets us to want to make those up that's the thing that is distinctly Lonergan to me. Mm. Um, but I'm only two films in. I, I think mm. that Mark Ruffalo's journey as a performer is one of the most interesting overlooked um, mm. journeys of a performer that I um, can think of just because I personally haven't really been aware of him for that long. I think that he first became someone I loved during Spotlight. Then mm. he rose to stardom during Avengers and all the Marvel stuff, obviously, as the Hulk. But he's got a very interesting early part of his career, I think, that um, really reminds me a little bit of Norton or Christian Bale, um, giving these these nuanced performances of characters that are from the other side of the tracks. And then you look at Dark Waters, and I, I think that he's still continuing to do these really artistic projects, The Normal Heart, um, or like we just covered, uh, I know this much is true, while he's maintaining a star presence, which is very interesting mm-hmm. to me. Kind of Scarlett Johansson-ish. Yeah, he, he does strike me as a very relatable kind of screen presence. Um, he's always quite sympathetic. Like, I have a harder time, although there's probably evidence that I'm just not thinking of, I have a harder time imagining him as an anti-hero. Um, although, I think he's maybe talented enough to pull it off. I think I, I mostly... Um, think of him in my head if when he pops in there as 
um, the kind of guy who I, I can kind of just understand in some way. Yeah, if he was um, an anti-hero, he'd be very sympathetic. Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kind of anti-hero who is bad because he had a very sad upbringing or something. Yeah, like you could put the evilest mustache on him you want, but I'm still gonna gonna feel like I understand where he's coming from. and It's a real shame that he's in the situation he's in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's really good here. I think Laura Linney's really good. I like Matthew Broderick as the very I strict manager. I I hated him, which is a sheer sign of success mm-hmm. of him as a performer because mm-hmm. he's so likable, and he did such a good job of getting me to not like him. He succeeded for me in that regard. I like their very first exchange between the him and Laura Linney. Um, which is just, you know, a great example of the kind of thing that I think Lonergan does well. It's just the show don't tell kind of approach to characterization where she's standing up to him a little bit about needing to go out at three o'clock and drive her kid home. He's pushing back. But in that exchange, you get a sense of her backbone, her willingness to stand up to herself, but also not you know, extreme stubbornness. She does ultimately concede and says, okay, I'll figure something out. And you perfectly get the sense for how seriously he's taking this job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, those, it's those just ordinary everyday exchanges that are just well-written enough to give us a perfect sense for who these people are and what their priorities are and that kind of thing. And then the the background of having an office that seems like a real office and the mm-hmm. casting, although very brief, of J. Smith Cameron as someone who needs to have offset colors on her monitor to type is just, as someone who loves J. Smith now because of Succession, it's just great to go She's back the and culprit, see her. right? She did it. Yeah. Oh, she for sure. <laughs> she definitely did it. Um, and, and wondering if those people in the office know what's going on when the door closes. Um, mm-hmm. There's just, there's so much raw potential i guess to a lot of scenes in this movie that it just kept me engrossed the whole time i don't think anything looked particularly great i I don't think i have a favorite scene or anything like that like there's moments of energy that are really important um that i retain but the cinematography isn't something that i found gripping i also don't think that I ever had a, a scene that I really truly loved in Manchester by the sea. But to me, it doesn't lessen the film. It deepens it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something really rare. I think that you you don't have that very often. It's a very special storyteller that, that gets by without doing um, really tricky stuff with the camera to try to mm-hmm. engross the viewer. Yeah, yeah. I think from the people who don't care for Lonergan so much, it seems to me like the complaint is usually that it's just not cinematic enough. Um, and I think that's fair. I think in Manchester, there's there's cinem- there's a cinematic quality to the editing. Like, that's so much about some of those flashbacks. Um, here, I, I, I think I can get that. You're right. Like, I don't think there are shots or... Um, or any instances of blocking that really blew my mind. It's kind of about the acting and just the um, approach to characterization that just rings really true. And it's just kind of the subtlety of the writing and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I I mean, but even if you get into blocking, I mean, I guess it depends on if you mean staging as well as blocking, but some of the bar stuff was brilliantly staged and blocked, I think for the amount of crowd that they had in there to try to show Mm. what they were showing from, different perspectives and to give us the feeling that someone was looming over and watching. Um, mm-hmm. I, 
I don't know if you remember that scene, but during the the pool, um, when he takes him out in the middle of the night, um, we get the the sense that there's a presence watching. And then mm. we get a brief glimpse. And the way that they pull that off, I, I think, was pretty brilliantly staged, personally, um, in a low light area and, and trying to, to show everything. But yeah, nothing deeply ad astra. <laughs> you know i would agree no hoite van hoitema no there's no uh, <laughs> there's no empty souls question mark reflections like we're gonna get to in 35 shots of rum mm-hmm. um there's no deepening of the shadows that that makes you question whether or not someone's lurking behind her that we're gonna get in four months three weeks two days mm-hmm. um there's just a really basic rustic sense to the film which I think pays dividends on the back end. It has aged gracefully. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's more like subtle instances of dialogue that will stick with me more than shots or particular scenes, whether it was, uh, you know, Mark Ruffalo insisting that, uh, the kid wear a seatbelt and you're just forced to think about how many times over the course of his entire life has he had to think about, you know, the, the death of his parents when he puts on a seatbelt. Um, or at the very end, I don't know about you, but um, it always drives me a little nuts to have a film, you know, drop its title in a real obvious kind of way. And it very nicely gets around that in that very final scene where he's there on sitting on the bench and he says, come on, sis, what did what did we always say to each other? Mm-hmm. Well, we know the title of the movie. That, I thought that was nice and subtle. And then, you know, just her saying something in the middle of a conversation and before it moves right along. She says, I, I wish mom was here. And, you know, those just sting, even though we don't see the the, the sting on her face, just because mm-hmm. we get to imagine how much they've felt that over the course of their whole lives. Um, so it's those details, I think, that are uh, taking up, you know, what a, a great shot might have done or something. Yeah. And the characters, you know, one trying to keep the memory alive, staying in the same town, keeping the house going visiting the grave which is the the mm. shot that we get which is i i guess something that i would actually call my favorite shot of the film it's a very unique shot where we start with a close-up of the grave um or no we start with a a shot that is like the sunlight hitting a meadow and then we zoom out really slowly and deliberately and we get laura linney's perspective as she's looking at the gravestone placing flowers and that's how the film starts mm. i believe yeah. Um, and that that's just interesting, but it, it gives you the the feeling of this death marks the entire film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it yeah, I completely agree. I think that is probably one of the great shots because it's like we see that, and the grieving's already kind of done, but it's also not. You know, like it never mm-hmm. you never really stop. But we're also, this is not about these characters in the throes of grief, you know, it's more about like the, yeah, the long, shots. yeah, yeah, the long term of, you know, effect of it, I guess. Um, I would agree that that is a, a good looking shot. All right. I think we've pretty thoroughly dug in to Kenneth Longerner again's You Can Count On Me on to 35 Shots of Rome. Let's move on. Il n'y a pas de lumière chez vous. Moi aussi, je pars. 
Ça arrive à rien tout ça Pense un peu à toi Ben c'est pas mon jour. Vous croyez que j'aurais une course pour Roissy ou Saint-Cloud Ben non. Rien que des petites courses. This film stars one of your favorite new directors, Matty Diop. It is directed by Claire Denis. What do you think about this one, Michael? I love this movie. I came in a little apprehensive, I guess. Uh, I have not all out loved a Claire Denis movie yet. There have been things I've liked about most of them. Um, High Life was one of the few movies I watched twice because I just felt like it was my kind of thing. And then I like still didn't quite connect with it on round two. So I was like, I just don't know that this is a director who is for me, but I was wrong. I love this movie. What about you? I'm, I think this is my high life from her. Oh. Um, this definitely reminded me of Nocturama. Um, hmm. There's a lot of dark Fran- French cityscape that's shot beautifully. Lighting and shadow is immaculate. Um, the opening shot where we see reflections of the passengers on the train in the glass feels like a CG special effect um, mm. to make it seem like there's specters mm. on this um, in the city, I guess, that are moving. But really what there are is there's people on a train going through the town. I think that it, it evokes a deep sense of... Um, morality mortality it, it's a mm-hmm. it's an incredibly introspective film that never explains itself mm-hmm. it never tries to meet the viewer halfway it makes you come all the way and i don't love it but i really responded to the visuals of it i mm. more in the high life vein where i like the sci-fi mm. i like the mm. imagery i like the motifs i like the themes i like the iconography that i saw in the high life film it it's more my thing. I love sci-fi. You love a little bit more low grade um type of a movie that's got great mm. cinematography and this film has it in spades and it also mm. has your favorite director as its lead actress. Who so. I really liked. Yeah. yeah. It's mm. it's catnip for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very much my my pace and rhythm. I think the first ten minutes, you know, is like five minutes of just footage of these trains uh ah, here's the throwing. word ethereal. There it is. I would. I had to think of that is appropriate. and I found it. I think that is appropriate. Um, uh, with just kind of that that melancholy score that I really liked, and then there's just this kind of mundane drama of watching, uh, you know, the, this father and daughter make dinner together as after she's um, bought a rice cooker that sh- she assumed he would forget to buy, but he actually did remember to buy. Um, uh, now I, I kind of sound like I'm repeating myself after you count on, you can count on me, but I think there are various dimensions to this one too, whether it's, you know, this father, son or father, daughter dynamic, and then how they each relate to neighbors, um, who have an affection for them. Um, I think it's just kind of a fascinating setup of interpersonal relationships and, um, it's all done through like implication versus explication um, that lets you kind of fill in the gaps. I love that. Um, and and the, I just think there's so much feeling there. It's just really kind of uh, sad, but human, especially with, um, like you said, you use the word mortality. I think this kind of um, uh, fear of death kind of hangs over it um, in a, in a, in a pretty 
deep way. Um, Interesting. I viewed it more as they were already dead. Oh, that is a heavier reading. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just the way that it starts out with them being reflected on the the glass while you're looking out of that train front window. It's you. I didn't get the impression they were living a full life. Mm. More that they were half lives or specters or things mm. wandering the street looking for meaning. I think that the rice cooker is a very interesting metaphor and an interesting icon, right? Because rice cooker is essentially about getting things perfect. It's all in the timing. Mm. Um, and the end of the film has her rice cooker out next to her father's rice cooker. Um, and to me, that's, you know, there's something in there about getting the timing right and um, trying to make everything perfect or or embracing that things aren't perfect it's it's hard to say mm. but there's there's something there just like there's something with the um native american um tv gray screen and high life there's something there i can't mm. tell you exactly what it is i don't know why the baby's watching that i don't know mm-hmm. why the rice cookers are the beginning and the end of the film but it it's something that is true and there's mm. something to chew on there yeah yeah i like that i was almost nervous to talk about this movie because there are these ambiguous notes that, like, I still don't know how I, that I have a clear reading of. But that makes yeah, me feel um, better. I like. That. I thought I was stupid. I was like, I don't get this movie. Well, yeah, I, I have a lot of feelings about it, but I don't intellectually get it. Yeah, I, I had a very strong reaction to it, but I still don't think I could offer you a uh, dense interpretation of even what the thirty-five shots of rum necessarily means. I'm glad to you these said people. that because I was about to bring that up. Like. Mm. They definitely were drinking a clear liquid at the bar. That mm. was not rum. That bothersome? It's not <laughs> bothersome. I just want to clarify that that wasn't the rum. Or is oh. rum different in France? Like, I just want to understand the film intellectually, and I feel like every time I do, I get punched in the do face research. and backwards. Gotta look up what <laughs> they were drinking, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because the girl says she's not going to drink anymore. So that's where maybe we get the odd number of shots. I'm willing to give that in. But I, so maybe it would have been 12, 12, 12. Maybe there were 12 people taking shots three times. Hmm. But then for the third shot, she said, no, I've had too much. And then only 11 people took the shot. And that's how we get to 35. That's, the, that's me just pulling at straws, trying to make hmm. any sense of the title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, specifics. I don't have much. My only thought was that, like in a like in a general sense, like do they think this there is going to be like a good outcome or a bad outcome from drinking thirty five shots? And my interpretation as of now is that the father figure goes from not wanting to do it to saying that it is okay to now do it. So what has changed? What would have made him now comfortable? to give it a shot while well, his, his daughter is getting married now. Um, and part of this to me was about his um, thinking about her having to care for him. Um, you kind of get that in the scene where he's hung over um, and she brings him some, you know, a drink of some kind. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want you to be able to, you know, be free to do what you want to do or something like that, which seems very um, uh preliminary like i think he has years to live but i I still think that's what's maybe weighing on his mind so i actually came to think that maybe the 35 shots like 
is almost more like a like a dare like you like no one can go past 35 or something like that 35 is where you're done and he says i don't i don't know maybe there is some comfort he has found at this point that he's willing to 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 take the dare or something um but i don't know i'm probably gonna listen to myself say this and be like nah, that's not right i don't have any refutations to what you said i can just say that this film is definitely a film of duality because i have a very different read on some of that stuff where to me they started drinking because it was an effort to salvage the night and he was just Mm -hmm. embracing trying to salvage the night and then he ended up having fun and embracing it further and it's more about the um rolling with the punches to me this film is um Mm. because they they set out to go to the concert car breaks down they're pushing it um they eventually give up. They go to call in the bar someone. Mm-hmm. They end up not going through with the phone call. Or um, she ends up calling them back and telling them to not send the taxi, I believe. Um, because it was her boss that she was calling, I think. Mm-hmm. And then the father ends up dancing with the the woman who's working at the bar. They end up drinking. It's just they embrace the uh, f- failure, you know. I'm sure you've had nights where you plan to go out you you have this thing that you're planning to do you have tickets for it and everything and it just doesn't go your way someone's not in the mood to go whether it's you or someone else and the night changes but it actually ends up being a better time for it mm-hmm. to me that's kind of what that stuff mm. at, near the end led to personally that's, that's the way that I, saw I mean it. yeah i mean that that is quite a scene i don't know that i read it in quite the same way as like the night turned out for the better it depends on who you are in that scene i guess i yeah. mean you know the the young man comes on to maddie diop's character she turns him down and then the father starts dancing with the woman while the older woman neighbor watches longingly mm-hmm. you know I, you know, I, I love that scene and how that's all unspoken and you just see these people's um feelings um kind of out there in the open as they watch you know the people they want turn them down or start dancing with someone else i think there's a lot in that scene um uh yeah definitely one of my favorites i think she's she is a very sensual filmmaker i think that's definitely um that's the a case safe, in that scene. That's a safe case to make. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's partly just about finding, you know, meaning in life, whether that's wrapped up in your work. I think you get that through this um, co-worker of the father who retires and seems then just completely kind of adrift. Like, he looks just so heavy-hearted after that party with this look of just not knowing what to do next. Um, and just knowing that like he just waits to die now. Um, and then to see him come back to that train for a ride with his buddy and just kind of realize how much that was sort of like an anchor in your life. Um, you know, what, what work can do. I don't know that, that, that was meaningful for me. Um, and then for other people, it's about relationships and then how hard it is when you think, that's where you'll find meeting and the feelings aren't returned and how painful that is. Um, I don't know. There's stuff there for me. So with relationships and with that interpersonal relationship specifically, I do have a question when he's cleaning out his locker. Is mm. it just me or does the father look at him with kind of despise or a scowl? Oh, I don't remember. That's interesting. I, I remember him looking at him very 
uncomfortably, mm. I'll say. And that set me up to have the opposite expectation of their relationship. Mm. Um, and then I spent kind of the rest of the film going, why are they so good now? Mm. Um, and I wonder if that's not so much a reflection of his feelings towards that character as his feelings towards that death, that waiting of mm. death, that marker. Mm. You know, back to Kenneth Lonergan, that, mm. you know, there's death right here. What are you yeah. going to do with it? Go live and run away from it or, you know, dedicate your life to it. Uh, there's something interesting there. That's, a, yeah, a good example of why a movie like this is hard to talk about where, like, the text is in, a, like, a glance or something like yeah. that. I, you, you can't read me back the line or something. No, yeah. no I can't. <laughs> um, and that's what makes Denny an interesting filmmaker i think in the long run mm -hmm. and why so many of us are drawn to wanting to talk about our work because it it's very personal because whenever you talk about our work you're essentially talking about yourself because you're putting it through you every time you talk about it you can't just quote it yeah yeah uh, do you have a favorite scene Boy, you're putting me on the spot with a favorite scene from a movie that's got beautiful cinematography, but... It's a very good-looking movie. If I had to pick, it would be the scene where we see the specters of the father, I'm calling them specters, and mm. the man who's retired in the glass on the train directly before we find the dead body on the tracks. Mm. Went with a heavy one. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I think one of my favorites. I'm going to exclude the night, the the restaurant scene because we already talked about that, and go with the scene where Matt T. Diop's character is at work, and the friend from class comes in and and approaches her, and there's kind of that cutting back and forth between them, glancing at each other. I thought I thought there was very very nicely charged, and I really really like Matty Diop's performance there i kept waiting for like a a smile or some kind of satisfaction but she really kind of plays it quite composed Boy. yeah yeah I, I i like the way that that played out so i'll go with that one yeah this is a this is an interesting movie i'm not done thinking about it any rating i give it is definitely temporary and Subject contextual to, to right now i'd be interested to revisit this movie when i'm 40 you know it's it's something that seems um like a like a marker not like a grave marker particularly as a film but like a marker on a path where maybe maybe i'll want to walk past this part again makes sense on two four months three weeks and two days This is from 2007, a Romanian film from director Christian Munju. Uh, All of that is true. Starting with the facts, you mentioned before we recorded that you watched this over breakfast. How did that go for you? Um, my stomach still hasn't settled. Makes sense. I definitely don't want to revisit this film. It's a very good film, um, and I hope that no one watches it. Oh, 
Yeah. For their own. I mean, I guess sake. there's some people that I would want to watch it. But yeah, just for queasiness factors and mm. you know, not wanting people to be this affected, I, I definitely wouldn't encourage um lighthearted viewers to to watch it. But um it it might have an important message for people that have questions about um abortion. Yeah, it seems like many folks right now are turning to comfort viewing during mm-hmm. quarantine. This is probably not at the top of their list. No, we did not turn to comfort viewing this week. We did not. not yeah, we took a bit. hard right turn from Preston Sturgis to Christian Munju's four months, yeah, two there, weeks and two days. There was not as much laughter uh, or rhinus this week. Uh, there's a lot of sadness and death mainly just death and sadness sadness and death mm-hmm. um and this film also has a little bit of rape um so you know take that for what you will i i think it's a great film but i i don't feel comfortable recommending it i guess mm. is yeah. my point yeah um yeah when people talk about 2007 as a great movie year the other ones that came out, you know, were Zodiac, There Will Be Blood, uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, I've always heard of this one as s- spoken of in the same vein as among the great movies of that year, which I would completely agree with. I I completely loved it. Um, would you would consider it up there as well? Or do you think this is a... To me, Zodiac and There Will Be Blood are definitely in a different tier. What was the other film you mentioned? Oh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, all three of those are definitely in a separate tier for me personally. Um, but I don't feel confident in saying that. Um, with foreign language films, I think that I do have a, a predisposition to need to see them twice before I'm willing mm-hmm. to give them the same accreditation that I would maybe give to a film that I watched once in English. But with There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men, I, I didn't have to watch those multiple times before I felt comfortable with them being considered masterpieces. And I'm still not totally with everybody on either of those films. I think that they're both mm. masterpieces, but I, I definitely have some disagreements. Um, and, you know, those are for another time. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But this this does deserve... I think the same amount of conversation that those films had regardless yeah. of my feelings about if it's in the same tier. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about going back and, and making a list of what my favorite movies of that year would have been. And I definitely think this would be on there. I thought it was just riveting, grippingly shot, powerful stuff. Um, I think it would have fit right in, in our Dardenne's episode two weeks ago with its style. Um, I think, I think so. There's, uh, there's really good handhold cinematography where mm-hmm. you don't really notice it until you look at the, the sides of the frame yeah, and you yeah. kind of see the slight lilt. Oh, I love it so much. Uh, I, I, I like that it feels very alive in, in, that, in using that style, but there also is this really... I think it has a really strong eye for composition. You know, it's not... Um, really a fly on the wall kind of realism at times it can feel like that when it's in a tracking shot mode but then there are there are also these sort of 
deliberate shots where one character is out of the frame and we're watching the other, even though they're talking to each other. Um, I think that's just kind of masterfully composed um, in, in, in where we're looking and where the camera goes and, 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 and how it's moving slightly or quickly um, and how that all just feeds into this kind of anxiety of um, having the mechanics of this um, process work right whatever that or not, you know however that can go right there's so many great single shots in it that it's a little bit absurd um i i do think mm. that you could toss the dinner table scene from this film oh. up there with any scene in 2007 and i would be very interested to see the scenes that are as good or better than it mm-hmm. because it is so fucking long I could not believe how long it went. But it's so excellently performed by all these Mm -hmm. supporting actors who only have this one scene, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think about something like right after she's raped and she cleans herself off in the bathroom and she's looking in the mirror when uh, the other girl comes in and the way that she looks at her through the reflection of the mirror. There's just so much evocation, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing said. Um, and you know, half of it's the performance and half of it's the camera angle and both of them are excellent. It's just, Mm -hmm. there's certain stuff in this movie that is truly phenomenal. And honestly, I might just have such a visceral negative reaction to the film. Just not happy. That I don't want to put it up there. But the Mm -hmm. more that we're talking right, the more I do feel like it, it deserves consideration for me to be put in that category. It just, I don't like (laughs) <laughs> what happens to these girls so much that that makes sense it um doesn't feel like i had a positive experience with the film yeah i love the dinner scene uh i was shocked at how long it went on i did not expect that but my mind was just bouncing back and forth between as i watched her thinking about to what extent her mind is just elsewhere processing what has just happened versus the phone rings no one answers it yeah uh versus her listening to this conversation which is also interesting because they're they're talking and bringing her into the conversation at times but she also seems so distant um, and all these guys are smoking and then this fucking guy tells her to not smoke fuck uh, that guy right i hate I'm that i'm glad guy. you said that because <laughs> fuck that guy <laughs> yeah uh yeah that's a great point i hadn't even thought about that in the moment but yeah i did kind of hate that guy because of what she's just gone through like that yeah that particularly pissed me off yeah yeah i, I definitely had a feeling like i was watching a prison film a lot mm. not just because of the cigarettes but a lot because of the cigarettes the mm. fact that cigarettes are essentially a currency really builds a different world that feels familiar but also totally different um because yeah. i don't ask you hey michael do you want kent's or some other type of cigarette mm-hmm. oh yeah i just don't care yeah and we don't smoke it's just it's so different um it, it feels like a different world but these are humans they have human problems um watching her um, sidle up slowly to get a, a ticket from someone on the train or the, mm, yeah. the bus there's just so much about this version this place of of existence that i'm unfamiliar with um it i i don't really know what to say other than it's it 
moving, I guess. Yeah, I'm completely with you. It's that that minutia, the the detail of these scenes, her just kind of getting from one place to another, stopping to buy cigarettes or trying to figure out the hotel thing that just give me like such a perfectly clear sense of what daily life in this social system under communism is like all these little exchanges um uh that that just make up your day-to-day um and uh, you know obviously there um is a this there is a clear plot here there is something happening but it's also just a a, a really clear portrayal of um what this time and place was like and what what it felt like to to just go through a day um a particularly unique day but um yeah i was surprised i didn't realize going in that we were going to be hewing so close to the friend and not the girl who's actually getting the abortion but by getting to follow her we we just get a look at all of these um you know, different things she has to do and all these different people she has to interact with and how unique those interactions are. Um, Be honest. How annoyed were you with her friend by the end of the film? It's complex. Um, It's very complex, right? Because you want to be on her side. But Jesus Christ, did she do anything right? No plastic sheet. No money. (laughs) Didn't book the hotel. Lied to... Like... Oh, there's so many problems. I'm on her side, but there's so many problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it makes me so passionate. It's, yeah, it's a yeah. success. Yeah, I think it's been a long time. I vaguely remember. Um, I think I think it was Roger Ebert who really liked it, but but mentioned in his review something about her. I think he used the word stupidity, um, which uh, I'm not gonna yeah. disagree. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a it's it's hard to even think of using that word because of what she has to go for. But you're right; she like she's not helping herself much. But, her um, line is, "I didn't lie to you; I just didn't tell you." Mm-hmm. To her friend, who's doing everything for her, it's yeah. a problem. But yeah. it's also a film that I. I don't know. You'd never want to say something's necessary, but it definitely feels near that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because we're hewing more towards the, the friend's perspective, we don't get much sense for what's what's driving all of those kind of uh, mistakes and uh, misjudgments except that you can just empathize with her just being so overwhelmed, so scared, so eager to just get it over with that she's just not thinking straight. Um, I, I mean, I would push back against the way you closed that, eager to get it over with. I I mean, mm. from what we find out, she's the opposite of that. That's fair. That's and, fair. And she's been putting it off and not, you know, I'm... And Maybe that's in the denial, other almost. problem about it is that it's the culture where it's a culture of denial and... Yeah, it definitely makes some, um, you know, it's hard to talk about this maybe without getting political, I would say. Yeah. But it definitely embraces um, my summations about this issue um, and and shows a a pretty good physical day-to-day life that lines up Mm -hmm. with um, what I personally think. Um, And it shows you the the hard part of it, which is the the part that I think makes everybody question their views on it. But it also shows the other hard parts that happen to these girls 
because of the way that the system is and the fact that this is going to happen anyways. And um, all I can say is I, I really appreciated that look at it, that truthful look that's honest and brutal and um, upsetting. And, um, you know, it definitely, I think, leads viewers towards a sense of compassion rather than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's something about how it uh, it's it's very tightly focused, but that this doesn't feel like something that would be uncommon, particularly in the way that the quote-unquote doctor, I feel generous using that word. I don't know that Let's he call him is Mr. qualified. Let's Mr. Baby. Correct. Mr. Baby. Um, uh, he just seems to know exactly how this is going to play out. He's kind of... Um, uh, very um, easily anticipating, you know, one of her lies after the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and after he's about to walk out the door, and the friend says, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll do it." He comes back in, and and so quickly, like without a hesitation, starts taking off his shoes, like. He he knew she was going to give in, uh, and it you know it just suggests to me that like it's just nothing new. He's done it before. He's seen these girls feel so vulnerable, so desperate that he oh he's he definitely can just toy a predator, and that's yeah. that's the yeah that's one of the main problems. Yeah, I, I guess I can't say it's the main problem, but it's one of them. Um, and there's mm-hmm. a few in this film, and he's disgusting and sickly, yeah. and that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like it's part it's partly the filmmaking that it's not suggesting this is an epiphany, an idea he's had that this is a strategy, um, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, uh, that's that's almost kind of casual for him, especially in the way he leaves, where he's like, Peace, I'm out of here. Um, and she says that um or he says you could call me and then she's like, No, never <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. The uh that's like the first time she acted with um authority with with any sense of clarity as a person um since we got to know her really and she asked for a particular brand of cigarettes in the beginning that was to me her first turn back to being someone who says things that are true Mm because essentially the entire middle of the film other than those two bookends is just us finding out where she lied Mm mm-hmm yeah pretty much yeah and it's it's not like you want to root against her or anything it's just that's um, maybe, you know, an honest portrayal of what it's like to be her. It's, it's hard to say. It's, I don't yeah. think that it's trying to be mean. It's just trying to be. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Sort of the, what it leaves us wondering about her is, um, yeah, just, just kind of a void that makes, makes me so like sad in a way. Um, it makes it even harder because she feels that much more alone in that, like, we're not even really with her in a way. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was not expecting that. What do you think about the choice to have a lingering long shot on the fetus? We're uh, throw, you're throwing me softballs here, huh? I I thought. <laughs> what do you think about the brand of cigarettes, Kent? Or what do you think about the lingering shot of the dead fetus on a towel in the bathroom? Um, I think I'm glad it's there. I, uh, yeah, it's tough. It is. Oh, it's tough. It's I was tough. right. I was right there. 
was standing right there and I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that it was still going, that it was still mm. just sitting. There was no action in the background. Mm-hmm. It was just a lingering long shot and it made me so uncomfortable. It's such an, it's an interesting choice and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the way it ends as we watch the roommate or the friend who actually has the abortion just appear so like empty, so unfeeling at the end. I think it just helps to, um, helps us understand that, like just how distraught you would feel after, after seeing that, um, even if you were in the most perfect warm of circumstances, like it's going to be hard, but in this circumstance and, and having to, and having to, to do that, like, and, 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 and look at it in, in such a cold, miserable way would just be awful, awful. Yeah. It's, it's a hard film in general. Like the, the scene in the bedroom with her boyfriend after the dinner scene is so interesting because at no point in the film does it ever address that stuff until right then and and then then it makes Mm. it all about what would you do and he never has a solution and that's to me the the claim um that you can make it at a larger level that it's fine you're not thinking about it whatever but what what are you going to do if it happened right now and then mm-hmm. it's just stammering and I'll take care of it without ever saying what that is. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the the entire message, if you will, of the film, at least in my view, that it's fine for you to say all that stuff. But what are you actually going to do right now? Yeah. Because it's yeah. always right now somewhere. Yeah. I would ask what your favorite scene is, but that just doesn't really feel like the right question for this one. Um, any any things that just that just stood out no, to you? There's definitely a favorite anything that, scene that really there's, seared in your memory. Yeah, cinematography wise, there's some great cinematography in this film. You can't overlook it just because it's so harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, when she bags the fetus and she's running around <laughs> in the street. Um, away from dark shadows and what appears to be men walking behind her ominously. That was fascinating cinematography. I would have to still go with the dinner scene though. I do think that that or the bathroom scene after the rape are the two most compelling pieces of cinematography Mm. in the film and, and their performances in each of those are so excellent they're not great they're not good they're excellent they're awesome they're you know they're professionals it's it's a pleasure to see yeah good picks um i might just go with the shot which i think is after she is has already bagged the fetus and and is frantically running around like you said and she runs across the bridge and then gets on the the bus like you see her get on the bus the, the turn style is captured in the scene right um where the bus uh, has that little hinge in it in the bottom right hand of the corner you mean yeah right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, um that was such a cool shot yeah i think like to the extent that this feels like a darden movie it is sometimes in those tracking shots where it's kind of handheld and rough and tumble and very just just real but then we get those shots that feel kind of composed like he follows her and then he stops as she crosses this bridge, goes down the stairs, and we see her in the bottom right-hand corner of the frame. Like, that's not something we would see in those other films. But I think it's just 
important for that sense of emptiness. We're suddenly just kind of looking at this empty frame. And to me, that's kind of the, 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 the feeling that I'm left with as I watch the girls, particularly in that final shot, is just that sort of, you know, empty stomach feeling of having gone through something mm. so gross, so awful um, that, you know, he's doing just with uh, just with his art. It's great. It is. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. It's I, I think that similar to a portrait of a lady on fire, this film addresses the kind of the stuff that isn't part of day-to-day male life that we mm-hmm. incorporate into us as people and i i definitely appreciate that about it um mm-hmm. yeah the more thinking to do on it it's a it's a great film but i would not encourage most people i know to watch it i think you had thrown this one out there and in two weeks we'll perhaps record a conversation on never rarely sometimes always i'll be yes. very interested to see how uh they speak to each other yeah this is a, a good bit of homework for that uh hopefully mm-hmm. Whew, there we go uh one of our heavier episodes michael it is let's let's um let's take a, a nice reprieve this week maybe watch some comedies huh i like that We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can. A heavy one in the can. Extra weight.